You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Snap. Here we go. It's your boy, Doc Coyle, on the X-Men. Feeling a little jacked up, you know. I did this thing where I bought some coffee last night, uh, some cold brew from Starbucks, and it was mad strong, and I was like, oh, shit. It was like, you know, you, you get a little, like, almost high but sick at the same time, and I just put it in the fridge. I'm like, I'll, I'll get that tomorrow, and I'm still, I barely made my, made my way through it. I think they, they made it too strong, but it's all right. We're going to be all right, guys. Uh, Yeah. You know, if you guys listened to the last episode, the the quote unquote mental health episode, I got a lot of positive feedback from that. Um, And I got a lot of positive feedback from the episode I did with uh, Blasco, you know, kind of the topical stuff. So it's this is encouraging to me to say, hey, mix it up. Don't repeat yourself. Uh, Let's not make the show too formulaic and uh, keep it creative and keep it you know, different and exciting. So that's, that's good stuff. Um, I'm not going to believe you guys too much because you kind of know what's going on with me. Uh, if you listen to the last episode and, um, I'm just really busy. I leave for ship rock this weekend and I've just have too many things. I, you, you ever overbook yourself? That's what, that's what Doc Coyle did. It's like, I've been going back and forth to Las Vegas to work on bad wolves stuff the last two weekends. And it's like, I got, and when I'm in that, I'm just, everything's off. I have tunnel vision. That's all I kind of care about. And then then you realize things just kind of pile up while you're, you're in your, your zone. So a little stressed out, but I'm going to be all right. Feeling good. Um, yeah. One thing I just want to talk about real quick before we get in, in, into the stuff, I'm sure you guys have seen this, uh, the imagery or some of the videos or all the hullabaloo about these, uh, the quote unquote, the MAGA kids, <laughs> uh this confrontation between the this native american gentleman and uh these 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 young guys and um yeah it's a i hate these stories the most um and they're the worst now because of the way our culture is very very reactionary um i didn't post anything about it i didn't because i really don't care i don't i actually don't care but in a way i'm kind of forced to care and let me let me let me put this way this is not me telling you how i think about it but giving some advice how we how I think we should approach things like this or try to try to look at it. Um, and I think this story is really about the power of images, right? They say a, a picture's worth a thousand words. Yes, that is true. And 999 of them are wrong. 
pictures can be misleading. And um, like there's a there's a famous uh, picture of a dog attacking a young uh, black kid um, in in one of the big uh, events down south that really helped spark the uh, civil rights um, movement. And um, that image, if you talk to the principals, there's a whole episode Malcolm Gladwell did on on his podcast, uh, Revisionist History. You know, the kid in the picture wasn't even an activist and wasn't even there for the protest. Um, the cop was actually trying to stop the dog from biting the kid. He wasn't sicking the dog on the kid, but the image became its own kind of lore. And sometimes an image captures how we feel about something, whether or not the, the, the image itself is literally true. It just captures a feeling. And I think the image of the kid, the, you know, the smug, uh, white kid smiling into the face of the, um, this elder, uh, native American gentleman who happens to be a veteran. It just reconfirms something we already believe. And, you know, the story's and the thing about, about is the story is complex. Apparently these kids were there for this pro-life rally, um, organized by the Catholic school. And then there were these four, um, black Israelites who were saying crazy shit, you know, calling these guys all kinds of names and faggots and all, you know, who crackers and just crazy. I think these guys are just crazy. Like these are like random dudes you see in like Harlem, like with uh megaphones just saying insane. So these are just crazy people. Then there's these group of kids who, you know, from what I've seen seem to, you know, acting like asses and we're not being um attended to the way they should have. And then the Native American gentlemen and some of the people because they were there for some uh at the Lincoln Memorial for their pro, you know, they were doing some stuff for for Native American issues. And he thought that there was going to be a uh some big brouhaha. So he went with his drum to kind of be the peacemaker. And it, it just it just got out of hand. But the problem with it, I think, and this is how we should try and look at these things, is that we want most people, we're so tribal now, we want to look at it like, oh, here are the good guys over here and here are the bad guys. And there's, that's just not the way the world is. You know, the truth is everyone probably there isn't a hundred percent bad or hundred percent good, you know? Um, and it's all about perspective. And the truth is maybe everyone there was kind of fucking up a little bit. You had these crazy dudes on one side who were instigating. You had this rowdy group of kids who were not being attended to and were acting like 16 year old kids that, um, you know, in a, in a group setting probably won't do the right thing. And perhaps maybe this Native American gentleman should not have interjected himself into, in, in, into all this. Um, so, and the, unfortunately we want to see things as, well, these are, these young men are evil. Or if you're on the right, it's they're heroes, you know, like there's like, there's no, there's no nuance on any of this stuff. Um, it reminds me so much of the Brett Kavanaugh situation. It reminds me of the Trayvon Martin situation where everyone has to find their heroes and villains and we need to stop this shit. All right. That's pretty much it. Rant, rant over. I just had to put that out, but I really like on the surface, I do not care about this story, but in a, in a way I feel like I have to comment on how we should deal with stories like this, despite what this is specifically, which is to don't, you know, not to be, um, let images 
overwhelm us, even if they reconfirm kind of an idea of how we already see the world. Anyway, with all of that, uh, we have a show sponsor. We haven't had a show sponsor in a couple weeks. Um, this is a band uh, from St. Louis called Hollow Point, And this track is called My Resistance. Check it out. their track my resistance which is available now as a single um pretty much anywhere where you check out music spotify youtube definitely check them out uh their website you can go to facebook.com backslash hollow point 
metal and even though that's a single there will be a full length coming out in 2019 and they also have some shows coming up they're playing february 1st at the firebird in st louis missouri as well as february 2nd at davies uptown ramblers um in kansas city missouri as well so definitely check that out. i thought that track was really good it's very well produced and it's it's fucking heavy and catchy so thank you to them for sponsoring the show if you would like your band or your product or uh company whatever to sponsor the show please uh, hit me up on social media or drop me up an email at the xman podcast at gmail.com remember that is ex and with the business out of the way i would just like to give a quick intro to our guest this week it's uh a guy named Paul Conroy, and you probably, if you're not in the industry, you probably are not familiar with, with that name, but uh, he's really, if you've listened to heavy music uh, in the last 15 years, uh, he's kind of a behind-the-scenes central figure to a lot of the bands that you are familiar with and have been fans of. Uh, he used to work at Roadrunner Records as an A&R guy over there, and he... You know, he was a manager and he worked with Lamb of God and Every Time I Die and Unearth and then went to go work at Ferret Records and also was part of, you know, built a management team over there and they eventually transitioned to Good Fight Records and Good Fight Entertainment, excuse me. And has since then left the music industry and gotten to uh, sports entertainment and is just a general entrepreneur and business owner and just really interesting person, someone that I, I've always really liked and fell out of touch with. And this podcast was a really great way to reconnect. I love Paul's attitude on life and his spirit and someone I've, I've just always really, really liked. And I was glad that he could, he could do the show uh, real quick. I just want to apologize. We did it in a big uh, kind of reverby conference room. So there is, it has a kind of like a natural reverb on it. So I hope it's not too distracting, but um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So check out my conversation with the great, the awesome, the wonderful Paul Conroy. All right, here we go. Let's go. Talking to the great Paul Conroy. My man, how are you? I'm pretty well, actually. Right, right now in this moment, I'm actually very, very well. Yeah. We were just, you know, me and before we turned the mics on, me and Paul were talking about, you know, the uh, the come down from the from the long tour. Yes. Which I can't imagine because if you think about bands like you know Guns and Roses or Metallica, like Metallica toured for like two and a half years on the Black Album. Yes. And like you know, and you know, you get some serious problems. Yeah. <laughs> I think either for your problem, sure. I think your problems either. Either get really bad or, or a lot better. Like some people, like it's so rough, they actually like get healthy. They're like, all right, I better get sober. Or I'm gonna die. Yes. And then some people go go far the other way. But um, I think I kind of split the difference. But th- I, it was definitely rough. Yeah. But, but currently, a month out, I actually feel pretty good. Well, I I have to say, um, hearing you talk about your experiences on the road, I'm guessing when you go through these experiences being a bit older than the last time you and I connected, you can uh, you can digest some of the challenges without the the emotions of like, oh my God, there's so much at stake here. This is this is so intense, right? Like for me, I manage stress now so much differently than I did before, right? Like the the cliche of like, 
one day at a time, right? That's how I go at it anymore. Like, I don't worry about like, okay, where is shit gonna be 12 months? I have a vision for where things are gonna go, but I try not to get anxious about where things are gonna go. And it, it really helps me deal with day-to-day -day stresses much better. And my sense is, while the stakes are much higher for you now with your career, you can manage it a bit better as well too. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think, well, the biggest difference for me is previously I derived all of my self-worth from music and performing and yeah. that validation because there really wasn't much there. That was the first thing I did where I was like, yeah. oh, people like me? Oh, yeah. this is, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm good at a thing and here's the attention and here's, you know, girls or, 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 or whatever. And then there was, you know, it's that, it's that thing of just, I think when you have low self-esteem, the, and you get some attention, the ego kind of takes over and is driving the, driving the car and, and then eventually the, the car stops. Yes. And the ego is like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. And then you're stuck with just you and then you have to figure out who you are. You 100%. So, so there was a, you know, and I've talked a, a lot about it here, but there was a you know, three to five year period where it was like, let me figure out who the hell I am. Yes. What I'm made of um, beyond just this band because when you're young, that's your identity. Especially yeah. you go back to like the hardcore scene. Yeah. Like every dude in the scene was like their first name and whatever band. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> of course. Yes. You know, it's so true. Like people don't realize like Jamie Josta, his name is from a band they had called Josta 13. Yes. That's how, you know, and when you're a teenager and you're in a band, that's who you are. It's not just something you do. Yes. Um, and then so, you know, there was a process of my brother leaving and kind of that relationship dissolving and then the band kind of uh, god forbid getting smaller and kind of going to the background and you know years later it's uh it's it's actually re re really fascinating but i i think with this situation it's just new problems yeah and you know how i kind of deal with them has definitely evolved and i'm definitely i'd say a bit more um you know steadfast and kind of uh I you know a much better ability to kind of maybe detach a little bit. Yep. I think which is compartmentalization has its good sides and bad sides, but it is a survival mechanism for you know, sure to, to a certain degree. But anyway, enough about me. We're not here to talk about me, buddy. Well, we're gonna do some talking about bit, you. I hope, bit, right? A little bit. A little bit. Um, but no. So um, for people, I'll, I'll probably have a little intro kind of talking about this, but just to kind of reiterate, we we met. I think it was two thousand one. Yeah. And you were at the time an A and R at Roadrunner and Correct. you were, you had signed 5.0. Yes, that's right. And so yeah. we, I, we, like, we yeah. literally might have met like on the bus when they were sharing the bus with Lamb of God. Yes. If I remember cor correctly. Um, but you don't, how, I don't, what, like, how did you end up working for Roadrunner? What were you doing before? Yeah, so I was working for Kid Rock's management company, right? Right before Roadrunner hired me. Uh, Going back before that, where are you? Are you East? You're East Coast guy, yeah, right? Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, yeah. I should have so. from your accent. Well, you don't really have you. It's died down, dwindled a little bit, but when that I makes met me you, sad. That makes me sad little, to hear a, that. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Still got the two one five area code. My no, phone number nine zero eight nine zero eight. Never. There you go. That's I'll, right. I'll, I'll take all the, uh, the 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 crank callers. You know, I'm never giving it up. Straight all, up. All the bill collectors. It's fine. I'll screen Same your calls. Same thing, man. <laughs> So I, I initially started off as a band manager in Philadelphia, managing local bands, right? I struggled heavily, like ran up 
a ton of debt. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. I had a house. Like had, investing in bands? Uh, no, trying to pay my bills because oh. I wasn't making money from yeah. bands, wow. right? So like I, I mean, to go back even further from that, graduated college, got into sales, was living like a corporate life, company car. Shit was cool, but I was miserable, right? Like I was so not happy doing what I was doing. And I started managing local bands, right? Not having, basically a guy that worked in the warehouse for the company where I was doing sales was in a band, right? And he was like, hey, you're always out at shows. Can you help us out, right? I had no connectivity to the music business. I just went to shows all the time. I was a super fan, yeah. right? What, what, what style, like what genres were you into? So I, hardcore and metal, right? And yeah. I'm super into hip hop as well too, right? This band was like an alternative rock band. It was very an alternative rock at the time as well too. And I started helping out this band and I felt like, ah, oh, I'm in the music business now, right? I had no idea how far away I was from actually making money, right? <laughs> so I went from like, all right, I've got like this roster of bands. I quit my job, right? And like, so gave up my company car, like all this shit. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool, I'm gonna start making money soon. Next thing you know, I'm piling up debt. I had to like sell my house, take a loss. And I'm like in my mid twenties, moving back in with my parents. Now, right? were you single, you were married, anything? At the time when I moved back in with my parents, I just met my wife-to-be. Okay, so right? but, but it wasn't a situation where you had a house and were losing the house with kids and things like no, that? No, thank God, yeah. no. But my wife definitely met me at the bottom, right? And like, so- um, That's how you know she's good. That's right, 100%, man, <laughs> that's right. So, so like, I'm struggling trying to figure out how to connect the dots in the music business. And like, I'm at the end of my rope and a friend of mine who worked at Atlantic was like, hey, Kid Rock's manager's in town, like he was based in Chicago and he needs help. Like this is this is like late 90s when like Kid Rock was selling like 500,000 records a week, right? Oh yeah. So I interviewed for the job, the manager's like, hey, like could you move out to Chicago? I was like, cool, I'm like, I can't afford to live out there, but like, he's like, well, you can live on my couch, right? So I told my, who is now my wife, like, I've got, this is my shot, right? So I moved out to Chicago. My, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, ultimately moved out there with me. And like, I was just eating shit as like a day-to-day -day manager for Kid Rock's management company, right? And it was crazy what was happening with him. And then Monty Connor and I had built a relationship over the years. Monty knew like I loved metal. So he had asked if I would join Roadrunner to launch a publishing company for them, R2 Publishing. So right? how are you working with Monty? I mean, they weren't, Kid Rock wasn't a Roadrunner artist. No, I just, I was always like shopping bands and trying to find new bands. So beyond everything I did for Kid Rock's management company, I had like my, my roster of like baby bands, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to find deals for them as well too. And through that- Did any, any hit, any, any breakthrough? The, no, I mean, I got one band signed to Atlantic, this band Liquid Gang, it was like a new metal band that sold maybe 10,000 records. I got another band who was a hard rock band, Tidewater Grain, signed to Warner Brothers, but like 
no, no, no commercial. Yeah, yeah you, you know right. that, right? Like nothing really connected, right? So Monty knew I loved metal, and he ended up bringing me into Roadrunner to build out publishing. And then this was like, this is wild too, man. So like when Monty brought me in, right? At, when I got there, Roadrunner was like killing it with metal, right? But then like- It was before the Nickelbacks and the Slipknots, right? But that all happened though, right? Like I remember hearing like How You Remind Me, right? They're Nickelback's big hit in like demo form. So like Roadrunner was going through this crazy transition, right? So then I started doing A&R then, right? And I was a fucking terrible A&R rep, man. Like I was so- Well, it's not like, I mean, can we just put this out there? It's not like there's a test. It's not like there's a, <laughs> right. ba a bachelor's in A&R. I mean, you kind of, it's a thing where you, you, know, you feel like someone has an eye or they have a rapport or they have, uh, some kind of talent for for finding the bands or making great records, uh, but you don't really know you can do it until you're on the job, right? A hundred percent. I I will say this, man. When you when you were talking earlier about like finding yourself and who you are, right? I went through this crazy process at Roadrunner where like when the when the 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 tastes of the company kind of shifted more towards like radio. I was trying to like bring in like bands that had radio hit. Like I, I was so uncomfortable with what I should be doing, right? But then it was during that process, I ended up getting turned on to Lamb of God, right? And like when I heard them, New American Gospel, and it just so connected with like all the music I was into, I was like, this is, some like I was blown the fuck away by it. And I remember like I brought them up multiple times to get signed to Roadrunner, right? The very first time. Now, was this before they signed a prosthetic or this was after this was after that? This was so because New American Gospel was on prosthetic. The first time was New American Gospel, right? Then I then the next time I brought them up as well, too, which was when uh Ruin, which is not called Ruin. As the palace is burned. As the palace is burned, sorry. Well, the next time was when that was released. The first time I brought them up and I was playing tracks of New American Gospel, Monty thought it was cool, didn't think it was commercial. Like Case basically like left me out of the A&R meeting, right? It was like, but I fucking knew there was something awesome about that band. And then when As The Palace Is Burns came out, Case, this is a really funny story. We're gonna go down a funny little yeah, road go. here. Let's go, let's go. So when that record came out, I the company was finally getting it, right? And they were playing, they were playing in Brooklyn. It was with Camara. I was at the show. Right? That's one where Randy fell off the stage yes. and broke his arm. Right, so check this out. So Case was like, all right, I'm gonna come see these guys. Like, like let's see what these guys got. And so this is like my, this was literally like my big moment as an A&R rep, right? Case came out, show was packed, right? And like, we're like a song in, off goes Randy, end of the show, right? Well, it technically wasn't the end. I think the dude no, from Carnapple Car stepped up and then uh, Bob from A Life Was Lost sang some songs. Yeah, so the show finished. But, but it wasn't the show. Exactly, like, Case was out, right? And I, I was like, ah, this, this is no good, right? I stayed out all night drinking, right? Went to the office straight from drinking, 
slept in my office that night and Case comes in at like seven o'clock in the morning, right? And like he comes into my office and looks at me and I'm a mess. And he's like, that band's fucking fantastic. You should go sign them, right? And so like, I try and like go through the process of signing them, but they were already on their path with Epic, right? Yeah. So like my career at Roadrunner was kind of falling apart, right? Like I could, Lamb of God wasn't happening. Nothing I signed was working. Can we, can, can we talk about one of the yeah. bands, the band that, that we met over was 5.0. Yeah. Um, <sighs> because I, I feel like in, in many ways, they're one of those bands that's somewhat lost to history. Die. And, um, and going back, cause it's like I said, uh, they made a really cool record. Yeah. Um, and then, but they broke up essentially right in the heart of breaking it or, or figuring it out or, yeah. or getting out there. Um, like there was one tour I, 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 I always think of, cause I saw it at, at CBGB's. It was 5.0, Mastodon, and, and Avenged Sevenfold. Right? I mean, and it's funny, so I'm sure funny, uh, Fuck, it's the funny. revisionist history will probably remember. Oh, I remember seeing Avenged and, and uh, Mastodon at a show, <laughs> yeah. and they'll probably conveniently leave, leave that out. But, you know, that first record, you go back, Shit, you can, you can kind of hear the, um, the growing pains. Yes. But I, there's also something really, really unique about it. It doesn't actually sound like anything even today. No. And if they would have stuck through it, it would have been really fascinating to hear where they would have went because Daniel had a really interesting <sighs> voice. Yeah. And I think uh, musically, it was, I guess, coming out of the new metal thing, but they didn't sound like a new metal band no, to me. No, man. Um, I thought they were they were re really interesting. Do you have any um, thoughts? Because what we like to do here is definitely shine some light on those th those those moments that probably didn't get uh, as much attention as as as, as they should have. Like, what what do you think? I mean, outside of them breaking up, I mean, what was what are your thoughts about where that band could have been? Or what so, went wrong, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny you're bringing up that show. So I saw that show at the balcony at the Troc. So the upstairs room at yeah, the Troc, right? Yeah, I, I played there once. Yeah, and there were, there were like a couple hundred people there, right? Same thing with CVs, about a couple hundred. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I left that show and I'm like, fuck man, like these guys are turning the corner, like this shit's gonna happen, right? To this day, Daniel is one of the most talented frontmen I have ever worked with, period. I think he's fucking brilliant, right? And I, while there was an aspect of that band that like got lumped into new metal, I almost looked at them as being like just so far ahead of the curve, yeah. right? And like they were all like 18, 19, and they were like starting to cook in the UK as well too, right? They did this tour in the UK with Kill Switch Engage and 36 Crazy Fist. They're kind of getting set off over there. And, and I was I was talking to like Vaughn and Kenny from Strong about helping out with co-management with them. And then the whole thing just kind of imploded, right? And like it was, and it's funny because 5.0 was imploding while Lamb of God wasn't happening, right? I had a record that wasn't, that it was. Did you sign any other bands? Yeah, okay. so I signed a band Cinch from Philadelphia that was- I literally do not remember that. Did the record come out? Yeah, so they, how did I, so check, well here's- How did I miss this? Well, here, and here's what's funny too, man. I knew Cinch for a long, I wasn't, 
I initially wasn't intending to sign Cinch. I was gonna do a little publishing deal with them. I knew the band forever, right? They were like, they were kind of like post-hardcore at the drive-in at first, right? Is we're gonna get into some shit, man. This, this gonna, I, I mean, I'll, my brain's literally going to places I haven't thought about for years. So, so I presented them to do like a small publishing deal with, right? But everybody loved them. And this singer had a very melodic voice, right? And again, Nickelback was cooking. So Roadrunner's like, you gotta go sign them. And that move, signing Singe, took me from publishing to they moved me over to becoming an A&R rep for the record label, right? And we made a record that was far more commercial than really where the band was at the time. And there was one song in particular that was like a radio hit, right? And everybody got in the late, everyone got laser focused on this radio hit. And this band that started off as like this cool, like post hardcore indie band from Philadelphia, then it was like all about this single, right? Yeah. Single missed, right? Like they, they did like a few tours. But, and the single like showed life for a minute and then it missed. Yeah. Band was done. I'd signed another band um, that was Clint and Corey, Clint from Seven Dust. Dark and New Co Day? What's, nah, they're called, uh, they had like three different names, right? Cause they would get running into trademark issues. But they had another band that wasn't Dark New Day? See, I'm, that, I'm yeah, about. They had, so they were called Ether Seeds. And this was Dustin Lowry, who was the youngest of the Lowry brothers. Wait, what, what Dustin at? No one, no one talk, I don't, there's a missing Dustin. I don't need. Dustin has a great voice, right? But like we made a record, didn't even get put out. How did those three dudes, this were they were all three in the band? Yeah, uh, no, no, no. It was just Dustin. Seven Dust was doing its thing. Stereo Mud was still doing its thing. So Dustin was basically fronting this new band. Man, they could have been the Jackson 3. I mean, they, they are a talented bunch of those guys, for sure. They all can sing their asses. I actually managed Stereo Mud back in the day. Oh, no Different shit. story. Oh, yeah. So, so all of this shit was happening inside of Roadrunner, right? And like, I've battled anxiety issues my entire life, right? And we'll probably get more into that later. But I would show up to the office every day and be like, man, I love music. This is all fucking failing terribly. And I have no idea what to do. What's interesting, whereas I always struggled with identifying bands and struggled with making records, the business side, like pushing people and touring and marketing strategy, I loved all that shit. But when you're an A&R rep, People don't want you to be doing that. It's more like stay out of our business, right? Yeah. yeah. So Larry Mazur, who was managing Cinch, right? Larry Mazur called me one day and he's like, hey man, like, I just want to tell you something. Like, you suck as an A&R rep, right? But man, like, I think you'd be a really good manager, right? And like, you're, you know, you're in the Lamb of God, and it was like 18, I, I was just into like Unearth, of course, right? I was into all these bands, and he's like, look, you know this world, and like, you're seeing potential. If you wanna come work with me, right? He's like, I 
can't really pay you much money. Like I'll open up a little credit line, but you're gonna have to take a risk and we'll figure it out, right? Would you get, um, you know, percentages if like yeah, commission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just like, hey man, we'll just do like a commission split. Like I'll, I'll be super favorable with the commission split. But you know, I was making a, a good amount of money as an A&R rep. At that time I was married, right? And I basically was gonna have to cut my guaranteed pay into like a third to take this risk, right? But I was like, it felt right to me. And I'm like, I'm gonna fucking die a slow death here at Roadrunner, right? So I made the decision and literally, right when I was making that decision, Ad Chris Adler was like, hey man, like we're, we're gonna sign to Epic but you should think about managing us, right? And and for few, for those who don't know, up until this point, Lamb of God did not have a manager. Yeah. Uh, Chris Adler was essentially the de facto manager, and he was such a, you know, as far as band dudes go, you know, we all could be lucky to have a Chris Adler at that time, like, especially as an up and coming band, because they were a little older. You know, he had a sense of the the scope, and he had the foresight to see the band as a bigger type band. He never saw it as some basement band. He really, their their success to come was something I think that he envisioned and they, and so he was so good at kind of handling the business. They really didn't need a manager, even though they were at that point, a pretty big band. And you know, I would, yeah. I would say a, a band that was basically coming out of the underground. They were almost, they were, the underground could not contain them. And that's, and so you're the first Ma manager manager of the band yeah and and to your point about chris man he was a better manager than i was right it was um and i loved working with chris loved working with the guys there was an aspect of chris being intimidating not as a dude not as a person but his fucking professional abilities like the business side right he was so next level it was like overwhelming right and, and look to this day there are a few people whether it's music skateboarding there's a few people i worked with on the artist side that taught me a lot of shit about business right chris was one of those dudes for sure and um you know, it's funny because I think at that time, I remember a good friend of mine, uh, Denise Kariki, uh, you probably, yeah, probably sure, know. Yeah, sure, of course. She, she saw that um, potential on, on New American Gospel. She's like, they're going to be the next Pantera. Yeah. And I was like, right. I, I, I couldn't see that. Yeah. And still to this day, I don't think they, obviously, I don't think they ever got to that level, but they got, to me, they're the new Slayer. I think that's fair. Yes. In terms of what they kind of represent to the underground and what they represent for extreme music. Yes. And doing it in a way where it connects to a, a very wide range of people without losing any of its uh, kind of uh, legitimacy and potency and, and ferocity, you know. Um, but yeah, at the time, I didn't. I think it wasn't until, um, you know, the, ne the next record, As Palaces Burn, I remember going down to the studio and like, hearing hearing some of the tracks and i was like to me i heard i was like this is the next metal classic yeah. like I, like to me i was like because to me before that it was like slaughter of the soul that was like the last <laughs> classic record like just just for just a metal record and you know did you guys all know that that you know where they are now that that was the course or is that still yet to be foreseen how they've evolved creatively you well mean? not just the create but just the 
the ambition, the, the how big, I mean, they're one of the biggest metal bands in the world. A hundred percent. They, they had such a big vision, right? And the vision, it was truthfully bigger than what I even could understand, right? And, and it's interesting, man. Um, I managed them for, I would say about a year and a half, right? So, and if well, you're, that, so not that long. And no, it wasn't that long, right? So it was first tour we did together was the well, not well, one of the, the first headlining tour we did together was the Headbangers Ball tour, yeah. right? So they did a tour right when I picked them up for management. They did a tour with Anthrax and E Town Concrete, Headbangers Ball, then like came out through Ozfest and then uh, we did like one more, they did a headlining tour with Fear Factory and then by then I was already transitioning towards working with Carl at Ferret, right? Yeah. yeah. And So but as far as the, the management, you also, who else did you work with? So it was Lamb of God, it was Unearth, it was Every Time I Die, it was 18 Visions as well too. And so you, that, those are the, all the bands you brought in? Yeah, those were, that was my roster at Entertainment Services, right? Then like, when I went to Ferret years later, a couple years later, we actually like kind of built back out a management division, which had a totally different yeah. roster, right? I will say this, um, when, it's funny, man, when, when I ended up leaving Lamb of God and going to work with Carl at Ferret, uh, I was really excited for what Carl and I were gonna do. And I've never fucking said this to anybody, right? But in retrospect, Lamb of God had so much fucking momentum at that time, it was running me over, right? Like, and, what, what does that, what does that mean running you over? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to bring the right amount of value as a manager to all the momentum they had. Like, I just, and, and look. But so, to, but didn't. Larry ended up taking over? Yeah, he did, right? So, but how come he, he just didn't, if he ended up taking over anyway, why didn't you just work it collectively? Because I, I was not secure enough in myself at the time as a professional to like get Larry in. Like I, you know, it's interesting, man. Like today, right, the, the me of today, the bigger challenge, the better. And I'm gonna let, I'll let an opportunity run me over for the learning of it, right? Yeah. Like I, I I love that shit, right? But do you, do you regret just maybe not seizing the moment? Or do you feel like it was, obviously you did a lot of great things after, the, plenty of great things, but there was something about that band and that experience that was very unique, right? Yeah, for sure. And and I, I have no regrets with anything, right? Because it's yeah. all a part of the journey, right? But what I what I will say, right, the interesting part of this is my story, right? My story has always been like, you know, on with Ferret, right? And Carl and I did great fun and I loved all that. We did amazing shit together. But the story I've kind of, the, the part of the story I've like kind of left out of the the equation is like I was getting run over overwhelmed and intimidated and I didn't know how to fucking handle it. And what and here's the thing too, man. None of it came from the band. The band was awesome with me the entire way. I mean, they're those dudes were like disappointed, right? Yeah. And it was just myself 
and my fucking insecurities and my ego, man. So, but there wasn't, because I've I've noticed, you know, I have some friends who I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna name names, but who've kind of tried to get in management, yeah, and have essentially been purposefully intimidated by more experienced people to kind of just be like, listen up, young buck, uh, we run this shit. And uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, was, was the, yeah. were, were there situations like that where where other people had more power were kind of throwing it around or throwing it in your face or it was just it was all internal? No, you know what's funny? It never happened to me directly, but I was fearful of it, right? And, yeah. and you know, it's like where I'm at in business now too. Like my whole mo is to like surround myself with such fucking amazing people, right? That I'm getting challenged all day, every day, right? That wasn't necessarily the mentality or my mentality in the music business. And what, to your point, the listen, young buck, we run this shit. It's not what happened, but it's what I was fearful of. Yeah, that you that moment would happen, you'd be unable to kind of deal with it, maybe? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and what, it was, what was cool, about what was happening with, with Carl and Ferret at the time, Ferret was like coming up and I looked at it as an opportunity for like, all right, I've learned all this shit at Roadrunner, since Roadrunner, in management, and I'm gonna take all of this shit and kind of press reset with Carl and start building again. So how did that come, come about? Did he just, he approached you, said, I want to bring you in or you approached him. Or yeah, what? and that's the thing, man. It's, life's funny. It was all very organic. So Carl and I worked together at Roadrunner, right? He was doing digital marketing at Roadrunner and he was doing Ferret. The first management client I had was Every Time I Die, right? He brought them to me when I, so I had them before I had Lamb of God, actually. And, um, and we worked great together. We had great friendship, worked great together with Every Time I Die. And Carl came to me and he's like, hey, I've got a big opportunity to take my record label to the next level and I've got some resources from my distributor that's gonna give me some like cash to like potentially build out team. And we work together so well, it'd be great if you and I could figure this out, right? And it literally happened right when I was like battling the Lamb of God situation as well too. And like Lamb of God and I were also like, trying to figure out like our business relationship commissions and everything else. And it was just like this swirl of like transitional shit happening at this moment. And I'm like, all right. So Lamb of God would be in great hands with Larry, right? And those guys worked together for years after. And like, and I want Larry feeling good about what I'm doing moving forward with Carl. So I think this can all work out, right? And in retrospect, it all worked out fucking great, right? Yeah. Fortuitously. And that's how I kind of made my move from uh, from entertainment services into Carl and I partnering at Ferret. Yeah, and so there, so you initially came on and it was just on the label side. Yes, it was, it was just, it was funny, it was just on the label side, but I felt it was important for us to keep a management client, right? Like I, was kind of just seeing with technology, like, all right, the world may not be all about record labels in the near future. And like, let's let's keep a management client. Maybe that's something we're gonna wanna build out more, right, over time. So was, I, was there any bands that were on both the management and label? No, or? so every time I die, stayed with entertainment services, gotcha. John Daly picked them up. And then I brought 
on earth with me to ferret, right? But, so, so, but they were on another label, so there's no conflict. They were at Metal Blade, right? Exactly, correct. So, so when Carl and I started day one, it was ferret. I spent most of my time on the record label, but then I spent a good chunk of time working with Unearthed as well too. And then Brian Slagle was like a really important relationship for Carl and I professionally and personally. So it all kind of made sense. So the roster that I'd had and, it, and I was co-managing 18 Visions with EJ at the time from Prosthetic. So he did like it all, the transition all worked out super smooth, all things considered. Yeah, um, what was your, primary uh, job at, at the label? It's like a lot of the business stuff, right? It was, you know, figuring out more business strategy, marketing strategy, like what it definitely wasn't was trying to identify new artists. Like that was Carl's shit, right? Yeah. And I, that was nothing I wanted anything to do with. So like, but as an example, when we signed in Flames, right? Figuring out how a smaller label like us could take on an artist like in flames that was kind of i'm saying still think that's their biggest debut right yeah that Come clarity killed it man Come, yeah, yeah it, i mean it, they, it was a great record and yeah that, and i think that that always helps it does man <laughs> and it was it was i think it was a great record at like the perfect time yeah and perfect time for us as well too right so so a lot of the business side of ferret and like the marketing strategy side of ferret i ended up holding down and a lot of just the a and R and the, the creative side of Ferret, Carl held down because it was his label. Yeah, you know. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because you, I think you identify yourself as like I'm the business guy, blah blah blah. But I mean, it's it still seems for you there was a lot of focus or at least a lot of passion still there for music. Yeah, like music 100%. was still a driving force for you. It's not like you're like, all right, I'm going to leave this and go work at, you know, some company that sells tires or something. No, that's right. You still want it to be a part of this thing. hundred percent. And there, there's, I think there's two, there's two important components to that because one of the components will carry forward in everything I do, even to this day, extremely passionate about music, right? The other side of it is, I think I've got a gift to bring business strategy and business execution to people that are creatives, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's, like, I love that, you know, outside of music, like I, you know, I spent years working with Rob Dyrdek, right? And Rob had a bunch of shows on MTV, former pro skateboarder, brilliant creative, right? I love when creatives have visions for things. And I'm like, all right, let me figure out how we can crack that. Like, let's get that shit cooking. And that, that all lived inside of like managing artists as well too, or working for a record label. So I, I've got such great respect for creatives, and, yeah. th and that piece, in addition to my passion for music, is what really fueled my existence in the music industry. So is that business acumen? Is that something that comes from your background? Because like you said, you started in the corporate world, or is it just instinctively where you're talented? You yeah, think? it's man. So I, I really believe that like my, especially building businesses, building new businesses, which is a lot of what we do here now, it's kind of like my art, man. Like I, I love music, love sports. I've worked in sports for a long time. 
But my biggest passion, right, outside of like family and friends, like the process of building business, that's like my fucking art, right? Like I like I love cracking business challenges or hearing like an idea for a new business and being like, all right, we're gonna help you figure this shit out. Like that, like that to me, it's like there's a creative. Pro- it's well, it- I, th- I think I think there's a kind of um, a fallacy about creativity that creativity means I paint or I you know write a poem. I don't think I think creativity is problem solving. Yeah. So that's you know it's like. We're trying to figure out how to do this. How do we do it? And nine times out of 10, the way you get through that is by being creative from a problem solving standpoint um, and being able to, you know, just having vision or, you know, a bit, you know, you have to create a business. That is is creativity. It's ideas, right? It's taking an idea and then implementing it and executing it. Um, So I, I think there's, you know, we're unfortunately, and I don't know if this is a cultural thing or has to do with our educational system, is I think we're taught early on that these are creative people and that there's these kind of people and there are these other people who are the worker bees or the, and I think it's really not, I don't think it's accurate. I think we're taught to believe that and a lot of yeah. people think they're not creative. When they are, they're just in different ways. It might not mean you're a singer or, you know, something like that. There's a million ways to be creative, you know? hundred percent. And, and man, you're so fucking right. And by the way, it's, I've made aggressive business decisions, right? Throughout my entire career, whether it's inside the music industry, whether it's leaving the music industry, whether it's, you know, starting new companies. And the reason being is I thrive on being inspired in business, right? And if I'm not inspired in what I'm doing, I'm no good to whoever I'm working with, right? And like, and I, I like I've got, I've got a lot of people that are very close to me that I can talk very honestly with about decisions I've made. And then there's kind of people on the periphery, they're like, man, fucking Conroy's crazy. Like he did this, he did that. Like what the fuck? And like. Underneath all of it is I will assume a lot of fucking risk to work inspired, man. Because if I'm not working inspired, I'm not doing so good. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I I think it kind of bleeds out of your your face and your voice <laughs> and your your you know your everything. It's kind of that's how you you speak about things and you're and you know going back through your career, you're here for a little bit and you're over here for a little bit you're over here for a little bit and and it's all about you know staying engaged i think in in many ways we're probably alike in that regard where you know repetition man is a bitch you know it's doing the same thing being on the you know feeling you know it's you know actually i I actually listened to that little podcast you did about uh routines so there is some benefits to kind of uh repetition to a certain degree yes but but feeling like you're stuck in the same place um can really be demoralizing 100 um so i i imagine you have uh some of some of that in you but kind of talking about this idea about being inspired by by business um and this is you know maybe maybe this might come off in a in a a touchy way but it's something where i feel like it's a something i'm not particularly good at sure because unfortunately like it's money the idea of like making money doesn't yeah. really get me up in the morning. Yeah. What gets me up is kind of like it does when I'm in survival mode. When it's like, hey, I need to go to work so I can put 
car and you know gas in the car and food whatever those things when i'm in kind of desperate times or you know i think it's like a symbol but when you say inspired by business you know you know how does that kind of correlate with monetary yeah. victories or is it about like this the idea of winning whatever the hell that means yeah. is it is it the competitive thing is it the you know there is so much in our culture about, like I said, the winners and the losers. And and it's like, people say, if you're winning in life, is money the scorecard? Is how many Instagram followers the scorecard or or what? I don't, I don't you know. So, so when you say inspired by business, what is it that makes you, like, what, is, what are you looking, what is the goal? What's the thing that gets you going? Like making yeah. a deal or getting a big check or I don't know. And I don't want to kind of put you out there on that. No, kind of no, let's get out, man, let's get out there because this, this is some really important shit we're about to talk about. It's tough for me. Like yeah. I, I really have a tough time. Yeah. Like I can't, if I like feel like I'm gonna screw some, some over, like I can never, like I'll always pick people over money. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and maybe to my detriment sometimes. And I'm okay with that, you know. A hundred percent. I, I would say I've learned a lot about myself over the last, four years kind of feeding into launching this company now, right? Um, when Ferret was cooking and we we sold half of our company to the Warner Music Group, right? And how did that come about, by the way? Um, we started having conversations with our distributor at the time about like getting a significant cash infusion so we could kind of blow up Ferret, right? which led to us talking to other music groups about like our business, right? And at the time, because Roadrunner had been doing so well, any like indie metal or hardcore label that had like potential to be the next Roadrunner would garner attention, yeah, right? Victory did a deal with, what was it? Def Jam or something, I forget. Yeah, but I think they, they did a deal, Central Media did it, everyone yeah, every, kind of. Everyone, and like we were definitely one of the earlier, so this was in. Didn't this, Trust Kill upstream to like Sony or something? Universal. Universal. I wanna say, I could be wrong I could, about could, Cause I swore they did the thing with Bullet it was Five, Sony. Bullet, Five Valentine. It was Sony, you're 100% right. It was Sony Red, yes. Cause Bullet From My Valentine got upstreamed yeah. to, to either Epic or Columbia, I believe, right? S something like that, so many yeah. subsidiaries. Yeah. So. So during that process, like when we sold half of our company and I, I became fixated with getting that deal done, right? And when the deal got done, Carl and I got a good chunk of cash out of it, right? Was that your first big score, yeah, quote unquote? Yeah, see, this is, this is fun. Yeah, so it was, and you know, look, I grew up working class. My dad was a mechanic, right? So like... It was a big score. In the grand scheme of things, not that big of a score, right? But I- Yeah, but when you got $8, you know what I'm saying, $25. It, it was right, it was, it was a lot. And the way, the way the deal went done, like we signed the contracts and this shit just popped in our bank account. Wow. It was like, it that's, was pretty, yeah, pretty wild, right? That's funny. And I, from that point, for several years into the future, right? I got really wrapped up in material shit, right? Like owning a Mercedes and like- Status. Status, like fucking bullshit. But I got real wrapped up in it, I'm not gonna lie to you. And when I was planning to launch this company, there was risk involved with it, right? 
but I was, I so wanted to do my own shit. I wanted to build a company that was gonna excite me and inspire me. And I had to really get clear on what was important, right? And I'm like, man, and, it, and, and so now this is like, this is like early 2015. And like my kids are getting older, right? And I'm like, man, I don't give a fuck about material possessions, right? It's like, I want my kids to live a good life. I really, like, what matters to me is working inspired, right? And I'd gone on a little bit of a run of not working inspired. Like, if I can work inspired, it's got no connectivity to like personal financial gain. It's like literally just doing shit that excites me, right? And to your point about deals, so kind of the older version of me, I got really fixated on just getting deals. It was like from one deal to the next to the next. Now my shit is like, have a work environment where I'm just fired up to be in the process every day. Yeah, so right? it's, uh, the process versus results kind of mentality. A hundred percent. And I used to be like the results guy. Now I'm like the process guy. And so when we started, when we started Plus Foundry, I traded in my Mercedes. We like, you know, changed where we lived and how we, we made, we made modifications to our lifestyle just to prepare ourselves financially if this didn't work out, yeah. right? And all those modifications that we made, I'll live this way forever and be super happy about it, right? Yeah. So there, the music business version of me, um, material aspects, I got real wrapped up in that shit, deals, being able to talk about deals, Got real wrapped up in that shit for sure. It's just not where I'm at now. Um, this is so. This is more of the kind of like almost an insider type question. Yeah. Did um, have you noticed because now that you've kind of ascended slowly in the in the business world and music and sports and, and now what what, what are you doing now? Um, some people have said, as I feel like Trump now. People are saying, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so, no. But I've I've heard this kind of idea that kind of the most successful, and when I say successful, there's the richest people in business, the people that have done the most are kind of the most cutthroat and the people that want to crush you. Have you have you experienced that or have you found something else? Is that just a cliche? Believe it or not, the exact opposite. Oh, really? Okay, the, good. Like See? The, yeah, it's, and, and so this is funny. Um, I tried to be a real like aggressive, hard ass dude in the mute. Cause I, to your point, right? Like up top, like all these people are cutthroat and like, I gotta be like really tough and protective of business in my turf. But that's insecurity, right? A hundred percent, right? And like when I started working with Rob Deerdick and we were like building new businesses and I was meeting with like investors and really successful people in sports and media, at like the tippy top of the that that group of people, really nice guys, and I found myself like when I was starting to get integrated into some of those relationships, and I'd have a moment where I'd act like a hard ass, right? I found myself getting like embarrassed about it after, and not that these people were calling me out, right? 
But it's like, oh, I'm being this way. But man, that's not the way Frank's being. Like this. That's guy, also that's that's a little bit of Philly. Can't. It, 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 <laughs> I mean, come on. It, 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 look, the, the Philly piece is always going to be with me, right? But there, there is an aspect of like, okay, man, up here, there's some really like successful people that are good people. And I'm gonna have to check my ego and check my attitude if I'm gonna have any any shot of building a real relationship with these people, right? And like I, I mentioned this guy Frank a few minutes ago. Like he he's someone that I met when I was running Rob's company. He invested in our skateboarding league. Brilliant guy, right? And he's just got so much experience doing so many different things in business. And I put a lot of time investing in my relationship with him and really appreciated what he stood for personally. And years later, he's now like on the board of directors for my company, right? And like he just, he represents the kind of people that I like to work with, right? And it was, I, I've had to do a lot of kind of checking myself and pushing myself to be in this place where I can have conversations with people like Frank or everything else I do every day and just be super excited about the process regardless if a deal got done that day. And even not only that, when shit is fucking not going well, have people around me that can help me problem solve and I don't have to feel insecure talking to them about things I don't know. Well, you talk about this on Instagram, about your kind of like uh, collection of mentors that yeah, you, you lean, lean on. Yeah, you know. and it's and it's funny too, going all the way back to what we were saying about Lamb of God earlier, right? Like I, I was so insecure back then when it came to getting help and fuck man, and I, to this day, I still talk to Larry Mazur all the time. He would have done anything for me, right? I just wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of backtrack a little bit, yeah. so you sell half of Ferret. Yes. How does that connect to you guys? Did you leave Ferret to go to, to Good Fight or did Ferret end and then Good Fight? So I never was kind of clear about what, what happened with that. Yeah. So we did our deal in June of 2006, right? And but you were still like running the company. Yeah. And, it was, and, and we ran the entire way we ran ferret we had to be accountable to cfos and like warner corporate every 30 days right and they would kick our ass actually it was a great learning experience in, in hindsight but they let us run our shit like we managed where we spent money bands we signed Did you change the kind of bands you signed or the way you kind of manage your budgets and things like that or did you know did that would that extra pressure kind of alter the course what i would say we did um Creatively, I don't think anything changed. Um, we probably spent more money than we should have because we had access to it, right? Oh, so you spent more money? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, okay. We said. spent more money and then we got off to a really bad start and Warner was like, you better fucking fix this shit. Like this is a disaster. So, so but what is, let me ask you question, what is the, so it's like, you better fix this shit or what? They just fire you? Or like, we're gonna like shut you down. It was so like literally just end the company. Yeah, and it, it was in how that would have played out. 
You don't I have no idea because like fortunately we did it was actually so what happened and this is really funny and you will definitely appreciate this so we did our deal in June of 2006 right at the time physical retail CDs were in Plummeting. an okay place but the bottom hadn't totally fallen out right yeah. So we did our deal in June, and by August, like all these records started getting shipped back to us by retail, and we honestly didn't see it coming, right? So really, like, yeah, not to the extent it happened. Yeah, right? well, like, I think what happened, I know, is that it seemed to affect pop and hip hop and everyone else first, and we felt like they were falling off, and it seemed like the rock and metal fans were still buying. Yeah, and 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 yeah, right around that 2007 2008 era, that's when they. Yeah. Shit just went like, and so, you know, we had, we had presented Warner this story of growth, right? And then all of a sudden our shit was nosediving our sales. And that's when they, and, and they were right. They're like, hey, what's happening with your business looks nothing like what you said. Like, we right. got to fix this but shit. But they're not cross-referencing that with what's happening to everyone. They're just using looking at it in the bubble. That seems pretty, I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that you know, you have an indie label who has one perspective on the music industry. You have a major label with another perspective, and no one saw it coming. What's going on? I <laughs> What's going I on? think that there was um, things happening with retailers at that like specific writing tower may have been one as an example where like certain retailers started making cuts and just shipping shit back, and there was an aspect of should have known better, but I think there was a certain aspect of like, we didn't see the the decline happening as immediate yeah. as what had happened. I wonder if, if it's just, when things are so steady, and especially if you look at the late 90s and the early 2000s, those are the peak of, of record yeah. sales and people are making a lot of money. Some of it's probably just denial. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like you just yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. You, it's, if, you, if you were really objective about it, you probably could have seen, seen it coming. But if you're, kind of living and business depends on this thing being solid, you almost don't want to see it. So you kind of choose choose not to, I wonder. That's, that's me just speculating. Well, the, the other side of it is too, you know, from the early 90s, right? Like when CDs started to cook, you had everybody replacing their cassette catalog yeah. with CDs. So there was this so it's artificial a, it's, it's a bubble. It's a bubble, yeah. 100%, right? And I think, I think we all should have known better and um, we got caught up in it. But I, I will say it, it it was a good learning for us because when Warner was like, hey, you guys got to fix this shit, um, we needed to fix this shit. And, like, and Carl and I, with all of the chaos happening at traditional retail, we ended up like turning the business and putting it in a really good place, right? So to fast forward to what happened so there was an initial term of the deal, which was like three years, right? And at three years, there was an opportunity that they could have like bought us, we could have bought the business back, right? But what happened over the course of three years is technology changed the business in a way neither us nor Warner had ever could have imagined. And then Carl and I built out all these other businesses like management, Sounds of the Underground and publishing because we wanted to be careful about our spending and increase cash flow. So like Warner did a deal for like Ferret Music, the record label, three years passed, 
Technology came in. We had like all these other businesses happening that were not connected. That to were the not con- and and we spent nine months trying to figure out like okay, how do we work together and move forward? And we just couldn't find common ground. So the solution was okay, you keep the ferret catalog because we didn't want like our team to get. We had at that point we had like a. I'm guessing like a dozen people and we didn't want to like have our team get fucked over or us to get fucked and we had all the, the management and we're like you keep the record label and the let us take our team and all of our other businesses allow us to start a new record label and let's just call it a day. So were there bands whose deals carried over into the next or is it just previous catalog? Yeah, it was just pre so no, there were so Devil Wears Prada is an example, right? They ended up being on a version of Ferret. But was basically they were being shepherded by Warner? Yeah, by Warner, like in and I, I think like you know, Roadrunner kind of because Roadrunner was inside of Warner, so they kind of helped a little bit. But there there were there were a few artists that were I would say um, collateral damage, yeah. unfortunately, in that transition. And that you guys get a lot of pissed off phone calls and we, <laughs> get, we your, did, get eggs thrown at your We house. got some, you know, for me, man, I was so focused on like our team and being yeah. able to like not have to like cut anybody loose from our team. We just got to battle through that shit, you know? Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, man, we literally spent nine months trying to figure trying it to figure it out and like at that point it's like all right we've done everything we could well I, th- I think it's super valuable for people listening to this to hear that perspective because i think artists especially have very little empathy for record labels yeah right because yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 story the narrative is that artists are being fucked over which is true yeah like it's not like that that's not true but i think more often than not it's you know, we're so focused on our personal success and, and making it through, you know, I don't think it's kind of an odd idea from the artist to actually think, oh, like, if this record doesn't sell, if that record isn't doing well, if they don't manage this budget, people get fired. Yeah. Things get shut down. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think it's good for people to hear that, to understand that, that it's not just um, fat cats you know, on some yacht somewhere, kind right. of, kind of divvying out the 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 dollars, um, and especially on on the independent label, even yeah. though the, even though there was backing, um, I think that's for me that's it's valuable to hear because I just you know it's it's important to understand that yes, it's, it's it, as Jamie Johnson says, it's it's the music business, not music friends, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, and when you when you make a record deal, it's. You know, yeah, these are some of these decisions, unfortunately, um, you know, and, and the way things are run have to, these things have to be kept in mind. So yeah. um, that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So you guys started Good Fight, which was essentially the same idea, just under a different name. Different name, different distributor. And, and but back to your point, though, you know, one thing I, um, I don't want to gloss over, there were some artists that faced challenges inside of our, like, you know, when we left to start Good Fight, there was a fairly active ferret roster that. Well, I imagine for Carl, man, like that's like his baby. And that's, that, that's yeah. must be great. I, you know, and I, we spoke to him. He said he's he's never doing any podcasts, <laughs> which is fine. Maybe one day, maybe one day. But um, but he was, you know, kind of, you know, um, 
it's just it's crazy to me that 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 was his baby that he built for all those years to hear that you know that had been split you know yeah. and i didn't know i would just wonder how he felt about that yeah and i and I, i'll say this man um i at the time i was so focused on all right like team bit like we got it like we got to get shit moving forward here right um i probably could have been um more empathetic to and the Carl and I talked I don't want to we talked about it so much it was literally all we did for nine months but I think to your point um there's no doubt it was more challenging for him emotionally than it would have been for me right and I perhaps um could have been more empathetic to that as well too yeah it's tough I I think there's a you know in in positions of you know, I don't, you know, I want to say great power, but just where your decisions have, will have big impacts. Yeah. And in a sense, I guess that is power, but um, responsibility is that sometimes there's bad options and worse options. A hundred percent. And unfortunately there's yeah. no, there's, there's very few paths where there would be no collateral damage. And I think it, it's difficult. You, someone's going to view you as the bad guy in their narrative. And in some ways, from their perspective, they're not wrong per se. Yep. It's just all how you kind of look at it, you know? Absolutely. And and I, there, there's no doubt that even though I applied the best of intentions to certain things, there are people in this world that'll be like, fucking dude, like, like if, if things like, I'm in this place because of what he did, and it's fair. Like I, I don't. And the other thing is too, man. While I believe I always had the best intentions with things I've done, I also when I when I see a decision like, all right, we have to do this, I will go so fucking hard. I'm different now, but back then I would go so fucking hard to get to that place that. I wouldn't, I will not have been, I wouldn't have been as thoughtful as I could have been in retrospect, right? And look, and some of that too, man, is wrapped up in like anxiety, right? Like when you have anxiety, you don't wanna live in the gray zone. It's black or it's white, right? And if I'm in the black zone, I wanna get to the white, I'm gonna get there so fucking fast because it's really uncomfortable in the middle. And because I didn't know how to manage my anxiety back then, it, gave me this bull in a china shop approach to things because I just needed to get to the other side, which is not how I go about things now. Well, I was, you know, listening to some of the, the stuff you put out and it seems like now you're, it's, it's, it's like almost like Paul Connor was made in like a Joe Rogan factory. You're like, I'm doing the bulletproof coffee. <laughs> I'm doing, <laughs> I'm meditating, I'm running, I'm doing uh, uh, jujitsu, you yeah. kind of, you know, uh, really put a, a big focus on self-improvement yeah. and kind of mindfulness yeah. and uh you know health mind body spirit kind of uh, mentality so clearly there was you know i think much you know i think you got i also have this parallel of this kind of before and after like there was a moment where things changed in your life and it forced you or at least put put you in that position to say hey i want to make some changes right 100 percent. now when did that did that happen 
after essentially leaving the music industry or before like when did when when was this shift or maybe it wasn't a shift maybe it was an evolution no i'd say it's it's an evolution but certain things happened that accelerated the evolution um i in the music business i became aware of like my issues, right? And the reason I became aware, like I have straight up panic attacks, right? Like I had a panic attack. Because of stress? Yeah, stress, anxiety, just, and not, and like lack of sleep, right? Well, why was this particular to the music industry? Oh no, it just, it happened. It wasn't particular. It wasn't that. specific okay. to the music. It happened when I was in the music. Gotcha. So like during that time, I realized like, all right, I gotta start taking better care of myself. Is this just burnout? Yeah, hundred like just, Burning the can, and it was, you know, I started to like have a family and there was just a lot of shit I wasn't managing well. So like it started off with like, I've got to figure out how to stop the bad shit from happening to evolving into, I just want to live better every day, right? And you know, I, two, two key things that, that happened um, when my family and I moved out to Carlsbad California. Um, what's that? California. Right? California. Yeah, California. For right? those who don't own globes. Right. When we moved to California, all of our families from Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Like we literally came out here. And at the time I had two girls. It was my wife. We knew nobody out. I knew people. But it's a, it isn't a little nice though. It that, is. That little, that little, it's bad. It's tough at first. But then also you realize like, oh, things are a little quieter. We love it out here, but the the moving away from family was huge, tough. right? And like I realized, like you know what, my family made a big sacrifice for me. Like I gotta step the fuck up. I gotta step my game up, right? Yeah. So that that kind of put me on this path towards um, just being a little bit better. And then um, there there was the starting of Plus, three and a half years ago, when, when I started this business, I was just like, man, like- Do you wanna explain real quick what this business actually yeah. is? Yeah, so we're, we're a boutique consulting firm, right? And when we started, it was incubating startups, right? Building a business with Haley Williams from Paramore, Zoe Saldana, who was the co-star of Guardians of the Galaxy, but then also consulting with Vans to build a professional skateboarding league, right? So like brands or people that have influence would come to us and say like, like Haley had an idea to build a hair care brand, right? But she's the singer of Paramore. Like, so she, she needed someone to help her figure that out. Her manager, her team are focused on her career as Paramore. So they needed like people that could help figure out the business of like hair care, right? So and how, how long has this business been going? What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Man, uh, it actually goes back even before we launched Plus. So it's Good Die Young has been around for four years now, three and a half years, doing really well. Um, so that's different than Plus Foundry or it's part of it? No, it's part, it is part of Plus okay. Foundry, right? So building new businesses from scratch was kind of where our business started. However, over time, we've had a lot of success building the skateboarding league with Vans, right? And at this point, Vans is a multi-billion dollar skate brand. They're killing it right now, right? And people took notice of this skateboarding league and that's opened up other opportunities where brands have come to us saying like, hey, we see that you helped Vans build a skateboarding league. We have an idea for a live event. Can you help us build a live event property as well too? So we have our portfolio of Haley and Zoe and Vans, but as we move forward, our focus is gonna be to work with brands and media companies that wanna build out their own live event properties much like how Vans did, right? And it is, um, I love live events, right? Like I, sports, me, like I love that. Going back to being a kid, right? So to put a stake in the ground saying like me and my team, if you have an idea to build a live event property, we're the ones to help you figure it out. It's a lot of fucking fun. Like I hired. Oh, you hear about this this documentary about the fire festival? I can't wait to see this. Man. <laughs> and so it's because I think it's going to be really good for my business, man. I, me and my team were emailing like, about. How it. would Paul do this on an island? <laughs> <laughs> me and my team were emailing about this over the weekend. I'm like, oh, we all got to watch this. And like, I, you know, on my team, I've got a woman who spent 13 years working at ESPN as the global events director for X Games. I got a guy that worked with me at Deerdick as my COO, and him and I helped Rob build the skateboarding league. So like our team love building live event properties, right? So like this is, 
it's a, this is kind of like the big bet for me, like with business and, and it's doing what I love every day. And kind of back to when I launched Plus, I was like, all right, this is like, you know, at that point I was in my mid forties. I'd done all this different shit. This is gonna be my thing to build my team with. I'm like, I gotta make sure I am on top of my shit, right? Like, what do I need to do to make sure I am at my best every day? Which is where like meditation and journaling and exercise and diet, that all came in. It's about performance and kind of being able to, I think what I'm I'm kind of learning as I'm kind of t talking to you and trying to uh, pick out, you know, cause I'm coming off a rough stretch on, yeah. on the road of not living so well and, yeah. and then slowly but surely kind of getting getting this okay making sure i do this making sure i get you know and i'm slowly kind of yeah. getting the reins um but i think it's about responsibility right the more responsibility you have the more you have to be present for the more you have to be capable for 100%. and so in order to fulfill all those roles the only way to really do it is to kind of be healthy so it's it's and if you're and then if you start screwing all those things up that's where you get depression. That's where you get anxieties when you start not showing up for your kids and, you, and yeah. you're screwing up on the job or not doing the things for the client. And, and you know, and so it's, I think that's what it is when you, when you have less on your plate, yep. you have more room to kind of screw around. 100%. You know, and man, so and right. you just have less, your your wiggle room is that much less. And I, and I don't even have children uh, yet or you know, a big company to kind of, you know, deal with, you know, so I, I'm just kind of one of these guys that does 50 things yep. kind of all at once. So it's not, you know, one major thing, but it, for me, it's, I take on a lot of my plate Yeah, and it's, but I like it though. I want to, I want to do a lot of different things. It keeps things interesting for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I love doing a lot of different things as well too. For me personally, I have to live a lifestyle that can support me doing a lot of different yeah, things, exactly. right? And and what I realized as I've gotten older, if I'm not on top of my shit taking care of myself, I'll have a day where I'm not at my best, right? And I don't like the way that feels, right? And uh, there, you know, look, there's, it's certainly, um, on trend to be doing a lot of the shit that I do. There's no fucking doubt about it. I'm, I'm on the boat too, man. I but I, but I, but <laughs> that, but that being said, man, with every fiber of my fucking being, I have to live this way. And the other thing too, man, the, the, the other important piece of this as well, I launched my company in September, 2015 and in December, Christmas morning, 2015. And I literally like, was sitting down with my family, getting ready to open presents. And I was taking, and so over the course of three months, I'd started a new business. We'd moved into, it was like crazy transition. I'm sitting at home, I take a deep breath, and I get like a text message from my mom and another one from my brother and like my cousin who was three years older than me at the time had committed suicide on Christmas morning, right? And like, out of fucking nowhere, right? And it was- Fucking holidays, man. It was like, yeah, it was like 8.30 Christmas morning, right? And it did, and like, he was like a brother. Him and his brother were like brothers to me and my, like all these shows we went to, it was a big part of my life. And it did such an emotional number 
on me and my brother. It also just, for whatever reason, put me in this place where it's like, all right, man, like at any given moment, like shit, people that you love, and I heard you talk about this too as well too with Ollie from All That Remains, like things can happen out of nowhere that can shake you up in such a major way. So why not do the best you can to like be having the best life you can because you never fucking know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, oh, it, it, it definitely does. But, um, you know, not to backtrack too much, yeah, but no, kind of, you know, it's, I go back to the, the good fight days because yeah. it's essentially, I felt like I would see all the time and all of a sudden it's like, where, what happened to Paul? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what happened to Paul? What ha- like, yeah, like, so you, yeah. you had some type of burnout or something and you just let, you was like, I'm gone. I'm out. Nah, Is that dude, what happened? No, no, no. It's not a, or maybe it's, 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 sometimes you, you, you go <laughs> like you go away and you think they went away. Like, but they were always around. I was like, man, I've always been here. I don't know where you went. <laughs> it, um, Where'd you go? <laughs> wait, wait, what, what's, what's funny, like. And you saw it with kind of the swirl of activity around me going from Roadrunner to Entertainment Services, and then from Entertainment Services into Ferret. Here's another example of it. So I am backstage at a show, Children of Bodom, playing in New York, and my assistant calls me up and he's like, hey man, he's like, Chris Cole's here. Like, you should you should meet him, right? Chris Cole? Cole, C-O-L-E, yeah. Who's, who's that? So at the time, he was the top pro skateboarder in the world, right? And I, was, and I said to my assistant. See, see someone, someone's probably like, Doc is stupid. Right. You, don't know, you don't know Chris Cole? <laughs> but, but at the time, I said to my assistant, I don't know who Chris Cole is. Okay, so you're in my boat. Dude. And he was like, he's like, man, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, he's the top skateboarder in the world. And I was like, oh, well, I'd love to meet him, right? So Chris and I meet and like he grew up outside of Philadelphia, right where I was living, but he lo- like loved metal. Like it, we had this crazy overlap of even friends in Philly. And through building a relationship with him, I started looking at skateboarding culture, right? In the business happening inside of skateboarding. And there was so much cultural overlap with hardcore and metal and skate, right? Yeah, like there was just a lot of overlap. And then like the brands that were kind of like into our music, but were also into skate. But then there was a lot about the business side of skate that was really kind of undeveloped and wide open, right? And one night I'm out to dinner with Chris and his wife and his wife's like, you're so good at business you should start working with skateboarders, right? I was like, this before or after you, you were out of good So we're fight. still good fight at okay. that time. Yeah, so like th- this, this conversation's happening inside a good fight. And I was like, wow. Um, I was like, I'm gonna think about that, right? And so Carl and I were talking about it and like Chris, Chris was in this point in his career where like all of his deals were up and it was kind of time for him to go from here to here with his business, right? So I, I continued to like build a relationship with Chris. He connected me with a BMX athlete and I started to like work with action sports athletes, but not Chris, because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, right? But I started to kind of quickly learn about the business. Chris then said to me, 
I'm gonna fire my agent and I would love for you to work with me, right? And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this. So as a manager? As an agent. agent it, it, don't you need to be like uh, registered or you have to go through? Yeah, there's a process you have to go through, which ended up doing, in California in yeah. particular, right? And I was like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. He's like, well, look, man, all my deals are up and like, I think you're the right guy for the job, right? So I started working with Chris and like it, in no time I was dealing with some of the biggest brands out there and like he was on this trajectory. So what, what kind of deals, so I, what an agent, he, it's basically doing endorsement deals and performance stuff? It's like, it's footwear deals, it's like having signature shoes, it's energy drink, it's like signature skateboard, it's apparel. But like, is it events, like doing skateboarding events? And, and then there's events as well too, right? There's contests, right? And like when you win contests, and that's an opportunity to do even bigger deals as well. And so Chris was like killing all the contests, right? He was doing amazing. And I got so wrapped up in his business. And again, when you think about like- The passion. Yeah, I got really fucking gassed <laughs> up about it, right? So I was, it was just all new. I was fired up. And then I was in California one day and this guy, Brian Atlas, who was running the big skateboarding league that I ended up becoming a part of, Street League Skateboarding. He was like, hey man, he's like, and we were just getting to know each other. He's like, you know, nobody's gonna take you seriously if you do this shit from the East Coast, right? He was just like, I'm just being straight with you. Like, you can't build a business working in skateboarding, right, from Jersey, right? That's so crazy. And it's, and he's just like, he's like, just, he's like, everybody that represents every skateboarder is out here, right? I was like, fuck. I'm like, that's a good point, right? And so then, like, that switch was flipped. And at the time, our business, Good Fight, was cooking. It was Bodum, it was Cannibal Corpse, it was Behemoth, it was BT, like on fire. And I had like big- that's the, that's the management side of it. The yeah, the management side, right? And Good Fight was just getting started on the label side, right? When I was, Carl was definitely like all about the label side. And I was really focusing on building out. Although Carl had management clients in as well too. And our team was firing on all cylinders. And I couldn't stop thinking about, I gotta go all in on action sports, right? And then Biggie, Biggie introduced me to this guy, Brian Talbert, who to this day is teaching Biggie and I jujitsu. Biggie, the manager? Yeah, Biggie, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So- um, Currently works at Every Time I Die, shout out to Biggie. Yeah, Biggie, I fucking love Biggie so much like I am he is he's been a huge part of my life since I moved to California so Biggie introduced me to Brian Talbert Brian was training Rampage Jackson and Mike Bisbing and Brian's like hey you can probably help these guys get business brand deals as well too so there's like the skate thing happening. There's some MMA opportunity I feel like there should like the HBO show Ballers should have been based on you <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was probably not quite as glamorous as what Ballers is all about. Can, yo, but can, we, can we talk about that show, Ballers? How come, why come, all right, how come and why come uh, fucking The Rock is more in shape than any of his clients, and he's retired, and they never show him working out, all right? I don't like that. You know what's right? funny? Show, give me two scenes with him working out. That's all I want. I have not seen even one minute of that show. 
It's and, I don't and, like it. It's oh, okay. It's fine. Actually, Lorenzo's on it, so I got it. Yeah, so I got it. I got it. It's you know what? It's like you know, just entourage with with football players. That's it. Yeah. So I, but I'll go down. You know, with entourage. That's that's my show. Loved entourage. I this is a funny little deer. I got so addicted to Sopranos and The Wire. Wire more than Sopranos. I got so obsessed with it that like when those shows ended. I banned myself from watching shows it's on too, HBO. It's too addictive. It, it, like, it, it took, because at the time I was just becoming a father and I'm like, this is taking so much. So like Breaking Bad, like Game of Thrones, I've literally not seen one minute of any of those shows. It's the greatest. I'm telling you. you dude, I did, I did the Game of Thrones rewatch. Yeah. Oh, that's it. You're dreaming about it. You watch, huh, I'm just going to watch one. You watch like five in a row at See? six in the morning. Dude, I don't regret it at all. I don't care. I have no kids. <laughs> That's exactly why I'll never watch it, right? Why listen, what eventually yeah. you're gonna want some a break. And I get it. And I think this is the same thing with with um with people who are very ambitious and very just need to be busy. I actually have a hard time. Like I notice when I get off the road, I'm like, oh, I can finally relax and what and then I'm actually I can't relax. Yeah, I sit down sure. and then I'm like fidgeting. And I'm, you know, you have to kind of almost be in a, a, a daze to kind of be able to do it but you know when you can i'm just saying here's the ones you need to watch yes this is for everyone the two he mentioned everyone needs to watch mad men everyone needs to watch breaking bad and everyone needs to watch game of thrones Gosh. that's your five that's your top five and for me that's top five so i've been told man those i those are definitely the most recommended shows that i will never watch it's the best it's the golden the golden age of yeah. of, of television you know um, and there's some other you know i'm i'm, I'm deep in it but i'm more you know, you know, because I was listening to that one podcast you you guys were talking about where your one buddy actually that's how he wakes Mark, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And he well, he watches an episode of a show. Me, I consider myself, you know, I'm I love media. Yep. And um and I love pop culture. Yes. So I consider myself to be somewhat of a someone that you know you can tell so much about what's going on in the culture through pop culture. So it's I feel like if I'm not kind of up to date on the music and the shows yeah. and the movies that I'm kind of not on touch with the pulse. So it's really yeah. important for me to, to, I, and I, I just love all that stuff. So I'm, I'm always getting, and me, I'll take it and I'll, I'll write about it. I'll do a yeah. blogger. I, I always, I always want to make it. I don't care what I'm, I'm doing, whether it's watching sports or movies, I'm always going to integrate it into something creative and not just be a spectator. Yeah. You know, you know so I, I try and spin it into other things. You for, know? I think, for you, that makes a ton of sense. And the truth is, being on top of culture is really important for like what we do as well too. I find myself left out of certain conversation right. because of exactly. You got other focuses said. though. It's all it's all good, man. It's all good. There's this, listen. There's no right way to do this thing. There's just uh, what no works doubt. for you. You know. Yes, hundred percent. Right on, man. So. So I guess so. So you left. Oh, so good. For, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, so, shit. Yeah, we got all. That was yeah, a, that was that a was nice a, tangent. That was a good. That was a good, good tangent. Good one, good one. So, so I realized um, I needed to go all in, right, on skate, action sports, and Carl and I decided to split at that point, right? And I got some investment financing. Uh, There's a management company called Crush, a music management company. They Bob, want, Bob McLean? Yeah, right? Bob, of course. Yeah, you know Bob, right? So they wanted to get into sports. So they were able to provide 
financing for me to like start this business in Carlsbad, right? So I worked out a deal with them. Carl and I worked out basically a separation between him and I. And then I went through the painful process of telling everybody I'm out, right? Yeah. And um, it's funny because I would say the most difficult conversation I had was with Biggie. Like I remember like flying out to LA and Was tell- he part of Good Fight? Yeah, so at that oh. point he had- I thought he was on his own, I didn't realize that. No, he had migrated. I mean, I, him and I had a conversation at Warp Tour many years ago where I was like, man, you need to get off the road. He was tour managing ETID, right? Yeah. I'm like, you gotta get off the road and be a manager, right? And I was trying to get him to move to the East Coast. He's like, no fucking way. It sucks out there. I'll be here forever. But if you wanna have me work with you from Orange County, I'm down, right? So him and so I brought him into Good Fight and he had had, so we co-managed BT Bam, Bless the Fall, um, this artist VNV Nation. Like we built Terror ultimately as yeah. well too, right? And we built this incredible book of business. And I definitely like, I invested in developing him. So like I wasn't talking to the bands all the time, right? But I really leaned into kind of developing him as a manager. And he was like heartbroken when I left. Um, but it was tough. Like I literally, I talked to fucking 50 people. I had no idea what happened to you. I was like, yo, is, is Paul dead? Did this dude move to Africa? <laughs> I, 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 you were definitely not on my list, unfortunately. That's okay. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's, 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 well, I mean, but that was also probably around the period where, as I say, the, the dark years. Um, you know, when, I, when no one, things were kind of dying down with, yeah. with my band and I was, yeah, you know, right. and uh, no, but it, it, and I think that era, yeah. you know, because, you know, when record sales started going down, and the, the industry shrinks a little bit, you know, even though you guys were doing doing well, I think, you know, those periods, there's always some people, you know, there's a shift and it was like, like I had the Rev on, on the show. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. He, very similar situation where yeah. his was a little different where he just was just beat down by the industry and he sure. needed to just do something else. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you know, and it's, and it's always fascinating to me, um, these journeys of, of people who were, so committed, so passionate, love the bands, love the people, love the culture, and then go on to do something else because it's, and it's interesting because you are, you said you are doing events and and things and live stuff. So there is that connectivity and, you know, sports, entertainment, they're basically, it's the same vibe. Absolutely. Um, so it's not too, too far off, but I mean, do you miss that world? Because we was a such, because you mentioned, you know, to me from the outside looking in, I feel like Essentially, once God forbid, left the you know the rev, uh, we left the rev and yeah. uh, and Tim Bohr, we were like on the outside looking in. You know, yeah. we were like looking through some some like you know a bush, and it was like there's it sounds underground. Can we get on? No, sorry, <laughs> but it was it was like yeah. ferret and metal blade yeah. and Vaughn and yeah. this collective of yeah. stuff that we weren't really a part of. You know, at, at, after after a certain point, we weren't we're the, the cool kids. So it's I imagine that circle leaving that everything must have been a, a transition but i guess was, you moved as well so it's, you, it was everything. it was a brutal life transition and it, it was interesting too man because i and i think you'll you'll appreciate this there's such close connectivity 
with everybody, right? In that world, it was so, it was such a part of my makeup at that point, right? So like, not only was I stepping away from business and business at a time, I would say I was at my most successful in the music business when I stepped away, like literally peaking, right? And there was so much great shit happening with so many people. So that, that be, forgetting about stepping away from the business, the concern about what would happen to my identity was out of hand, right? But fortunately, you know, people like Bohr or Biggie or Vaughn and Kenny, like they're, you know, or Slagle, right? There are, there's a small pack of people that to this day, right? Freddie from Madball. I'm gonna go see Madball in a few weeks, right? Like there, there's just a crew of people that like I've stayed really connected with, and then if like and Larry Mays that have appreciated my like, ah, fucking get out there, like do what makes you happy. And I, I became more appreciative of those that I stayed connected with, and then quickly let go of like, all right, it's okay that I'm not a part of this anymore because there are some amazing friendships I made along the way that I'm carrying forward, right? And that, and that was, um, I focused more on those that supported my journey and spent little time focusing on those that didn't necessarily need to be a part of me because I was not a part of music, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so. well, it's some of that, um, the association is you're as valuable to me as what you can do for me or yeah. or your power within this this world, or your stat, stature. You know, yeah. stature is so much a part of these different, different communities. And I, I definitely understand that. And I kind of, you know, when I left God Forbid and kind of, I was bartending and I yeah. was doing, I kind of, it was tough. But after a while, I actually really liked it because you got to, I loved kind of reclaiming anonymity. Yeah. Um, because it. Shit, man, that's powerful what you just said there. Hey, keep going. I'm sorry. Um, well, well, no, because it, you know, um, you learn a lot about how people treat people based on who you are supposed to be, yeah. right? Or what yes. you are. Right? Not who you are, but what you are. So this is, I am a bartender i am a guitar player i am a whatever whatever your 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 title is and you know you kind of just get to see it's interesting and same and same thing i'm getting the reverse of that right now right with yeah. all of a sudden i get you know i'm in a band that has this big mainstream song and then you start hearing from other people and and then and it's not a diss on those people no, or anything no, but you're just course. on their radar in a different way and it kind of it's it's just informative, yeah, you know, yeah, and it's it's, it's 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 very valuable, you know, uh, to kind of go through all of that, and um, yeah, and and obviously some of your sense of self is tested. Yes, um, and that's okay. That's how that's how we grow. And I, for me, I I just have a lot of, um, you know, looking through what you've done, and that risk taking mentality yeah. is something I have a lot of admiration for, and I feel like every. For the most part, every time I've taken a risk, it's always paid off. And it doesn't mean that it's one-to-one, -one, like I do this and then I get that. Yep. It's that that thing 
led to the next thing, which led to the next thing, which maybe worked out, or even if it didn't work out, the lesson is always valuable. A hundred percent. But I, I tell this, as I get older, I'm kind of telling my, I'm being a lot more careful about the types of risks. I, I realize there's certain types of risk I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be a leveraged risk, right? Where I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to jump, but I'm, I'm going to have some, <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a parachute yeah. and then I'm gonna have some rations. I'm not just because when I came to LA, I just jumped. No parachute. <laughs> yeah. And I hit the ground and it was brutal. And I was like, I I, I want to take risks, but I still have to be a little bit smarter. Yes. Because it. It, yes. it was it I took a big step back. But it was ultimately worth it. But that first year to year and a half was some work, some real, real work. Rubbing, as my friend said, I was rubbing two two nickels together. <laughs> yeah, I, man, and I um, I gave give you so much credit for for the risk you've taken and where you're at right now. I mean, it's funny, man. Um, I connected the dots on you and Bad Wolf. You're gonna. This is some funny shit. So, I listened to to the metal station on on XM, right? Like not a lot, but I still try and stay up on shit. And I feel like. I heard some tracks on there like early on and then I'm driving around with my family, right? And like zombie comes on and like my 12 year old and my eight year old are just tripping, <laughs> right? Tripping over it, right? And I'm like, and I'm looking at like the, who the song is. I'm like, wait a second. And then like I go on my phone and I was like, fucking right, man. Like, it was just, I was so happy for you that like you're, you know, you're in this moment now and you're you're having like this this great experience with the band and it's having success. Cuz I I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like for me when I was in the music business, right? I had a moment. It was like probably like the transition from entertainment services into ferret where i had almost desperation that like this is my shot and shit's gotta work out right and little did i know there were like 50 more shots in front of me right and, yeah. and, and the intensity of the moment was bullshit in retros because it is it's part of a journey yeah. so like when you were in god forbid right and god forbid was having the challenges it was having did you look at it as like, this is my moment and what's happening? Or did you have a, a, a broader perspective on the future? No, I think with, with God forbid, it was, I just all, I never had enough. I never saw, saw far enough down the road to ever think I would do anything else. Yeah, right. I, I yep. thought it was, you know, that was where my, that was my family. It was yeah. my brother and these are my yeah. guys. This is, I was playing with them when I was in, a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So it's like, that's all I knew. Yep. And then, you know, probably before Dallas left, but leading up to that, you see the seams start to kind of fray. And we were the same same five guys for about 10 years. And yeah. then the same four guys for, you know, we had, you know, even even longer. So it was um, and then once that happened, and like it was it's almost like waking up from a dream. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and reality hits you, you know, and then you're like, oh, this is not going to be the thing I'm going to do forever or probably not be the thing. Um, and I think it's it's fundamentally about the idea that um, what I think creates the biggest trauma is 
expecting things to never change. Yep. Is I mean mental trauma. It's like and this is and so in that time I've embraced impermanence. Like even my girlfriend, I'll talk to her. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, listen, I love you, but I can't look at like women sometimes, I'm sure men are like this too, want to think about romantic endeavors in terms of forever. Sure. And these like kind of really lofty terms. And I have a difficulty with that because I'm like, nothing's forever. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't, you can't, it's like once you kind of wake up from that, it's difficult to go back and kind of think things about romantical ways. So everything I do, and I think there's, I'm kind of working my way to get back from this because also when you think too impermanently, then yeah. you don't want to commit to anything, right? For sure. You want to like, hey, keep my options open, right? Because nothing lasts, right? And I don't think that's completely healthy either. I think you have to be able to take a leap and say, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm not running away. And yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that was just coming that embracing Im impermanence. Yeah. And and it was like, okay, now, and then kind of with 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 all this stuff happening with this band, it's like, I didn't really do anything different. Most of the writing and the song, like the cover, I didn't even play on it. Like I came <laughs> in, so I'm really, yeah. a lot, and a lot of people thought, man, that dude's killing it. I'm like, kind of, I'm just, I just kind of aligned myself with the right people. And I think that's what it is. It's just you, you know, with me, I kind of realized when I moved out to LA, I was like, I came out here kind of be like a hired gun. I'm going to be, you know, let me see. I'm just going to get in with people. And and I kind of realized I didn't like that. Yeah. It was just more like, I, I didn't realize I couldn't play with things I didn't like. Yeah. Just for I, money, just for a paycheck. I can relate to it that. Wasn't, yes. I wasn't going to be able to do that. And then, so I kind of, when this hit, I was resigned to kind of have music just be something I did for fun and made money here and there. But it was more like... I play music because I enjoy it. Yeah. I do this and it's cool. It's like a cool thing to do. And then it's kind of the, the time when I had the least amount of desperation. Yeah. Something happened. And it's weird. Like, cause you're, yeah. you're like, people like your dreams are coming true. I'm like, this wasn't really even my dream anymore. Yeah. I'd kind of, because I thought it was so unrealistic. Yep. Being closing in on 40. Yeah. Like who gets their break when they're closing in on 40? Like it's <laughs> yeah. so stupid. It's it's literally it's irrational to actually even have that as a goal. If you like if I met some dude who was 30 years old like, "Listen, bro, I'm coming to LA. I'm going to make it." He'd be like, <laughs> "Dude, take this broom, all right? Start 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 with the kitchen and go like Yeah. You know, like yeah, it's irrational." Sure. So in in a way and I, and that was the thing is do this thing creatively, but always, you know, just be doing a bunch of different things and make sure your bills are paid and not be, you know. So I was just kind of working all the angles, but I didn't do anything any different. I just kind of played with things I liked. Yep. And I was like, I love John, who's a band, you know, who's in Devil Driver and Tommy, I've known forever. And sure. I'm like, these are talented people. I love the music. See what happens. Yeah. That's it. You yeah, know, and then yeah, and things started yeah. happening. And now it's all, and I had to re, it was actually weird. Like the success actually fucked me up because it meant I had to kind of like, Oh, I have to go be a band guy again. Right. Full time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has been tough. Like I've kind of I kind of like being home now. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I kind of like a certain amount of stability and and go back to that repetition thing like yeah. doing the same thing every day, playing at 8:30, dinners at this time, yes. playing the same songs like that kind of fucks me up. Yeah. You know, so yeah, um sure. it's not all just yeah, I'm a rock star and that's great. It's like Whatever, I think that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's like I'm a musician, and it's a cool job, but yeah. it, it has its you know. And it, like I said, there's a lot of 
really unhealthy things about the lifestyle, touring and the physical. Like I went to the doctor today to like neck, back, getting, you know, yeah. MRIs and yeah. cortisone shot. Like I'm jacked up, you know? Yeah. So totally. it's uh, so it's not a zero sum of, I think the outside looking in is you're killing it and life is great. And there are a lot of great things, but yep. it's, everything comes with something attached to it to a certain degree, you know? For sure. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does, man. It does for sure. Um, I and I appreciate, and we talked about this. I think before the mics got turned on, for all of the the great shit that's happening. I think your honesty about the challenges that come with um, the grind of supporting success as an artist. It's just the honesty about it's cool. Really well, cool. it's to be truthful, I wish I could be more honest, but it's unfortunately, and I talked about that, about one of the great things about not having a band, like full-time band was you could say something and talk about your life and it doesn't affect anyone else. Yeah. And now it's like, there's internal things. There's like, oh, I'd love to say this thing that happened, this crazy story that might never, ever get out. But if I, because I think all the most interesting stuff is the ugly truths. <laughs> right. That's all. That, that's why, like, yeah. you, you literally have to wait for people to be dead to <laughs> write certain books. Because <laughs> right. they will kill you, your ass. You right, know? right. You know, it will, it will be a lawsuit. It'll yeah. be someone getting stabbed, you know. Um, so I wish I could be more honest because it, it's the most cathartic to get all that stuff out, you know. So I have to kind of speak in vague generalities some, sometimes. But, um, yes. but I think it's important. And that's because this show is really the um the after is, is is what came after my writing and my writing was all about vulnerability and all about talking about the stuff that went wrong with with the career and what i was going through and kind of just you know speaking my own kind of therapy out 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 loud and um and i just think it's 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 invaluable because i i think so much now is driven by social media and social media is about projecting a life that's better than the reality yeah it's about ego censure here's a pic here's a picture of me here's me doing this here's you know it's fomo right here's yeah. i'm at the the knicks game and i'm at the metallica concert and you're not and you know <laughs> right. this, this yeah, kind of yeah, li yeah. Li lifestyle porn um and and i just find some of that just i you know we it's so valuable to get to you know because you have to start with yourself when it comes to to talking about where people are fucking up because yes. so much right uh, dude, you're not you're so right about like that. like how much content now is is negativity content right here are the 10 worst films of the year here's yeah. why this sucked here you know and and it's proven like clicks like negative stories yep. do better or negative articles or ne anything always does better than positive yeah. that's just where our brains yeah. work we, we, yeah. we, we like that we eat it up um but if I'm going to be critical, I'd rather talk about myself and start with that and not just like, well, here's who else is screwing up. I just think it's it's boring and it's and it's and I'm sick of here's how great my life is. It's the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, I agree. I, I again, going back, say, 10 years ago, I was pretty good at pointing the finger at other people when shit wasn't happening the right way. I'm still pretty good at that, by the way. <laughs> I, I try so hard to look at everything that doesn't go right and be like, all right, what could I have done differently, right? Because there, there's always, 
there's always things we can do differently, right? And that's just, that's an aspect of myself that again, I didn't even fucking start considering until a few years ago. Cause it is easy as hell. It's way easier to like, ah, this shit didn't happen to me because of that dude or that, like that per like, man, I should, that should have happened to me, but it's like, now what can I do differently? Right? So. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've noticed the people that seem to be the most bitter, the ones that have something bad happen to them. And even if someone, it is, you can actually find someone who's primarily at fault. Yeah. Is that you gotta let this shit go. You gotta Straight have a up. short, it's like Straight Michael Jordan, up. right? You missed a shot. That's all right. That was the last shot on the next one, right? Yeah. I missed, missed the game winning shot, missed the free throw. We lost the game, we lost the championship. Well, the, you gotta focus on next season. You, you know, and so many people have the narrative of, they did this to me. Yep. And they don't yeah. realize, and, and instead of, they don't realize that if, if you can just flush that out yep. and, you know, let the demons kind of deal with themselves and you move forward, that's going to fuel the next thing. It's not the anger. It's not the bitterness that's going to help you. And listen, sometimes that does. I've definitely been in situations where it's like, all right, I'm going to do this because, and that that's the, you know, they don't believe in us or I'm going to, I'll show you. I'll show you. you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll show you. Um, all right. You know, and I think there, that does work sometimes, but at the end of it, it's, it's sometimes it's a little hollow. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, the best thing is to just have a short memory. You know, let 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 just just let it go. And it's and that sounds way easier than it really is. For sure. Letting shit go takes some work. It takes time. It takes. It's not always easy. You know, especially you know. Unless that person is still kind of around and in your face, it's, it's it's a little difficult. But yeah, man, I think my main thing is just not being bitter. Yeah. Not not yeah. not not fighting last year's wars. You know. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, man, I think uh, you know. Do you have any more more questions? I know you said you had a couple. <laughs> oh man, shit! Now I was just really, I was I was eager to hear about your journey, right? Your journey from God forbid to to where you're at now and. The bartending piece I was not aware of. Um, I listen. I was bartending like, you know, literally this. Well, not this year, 2018 being the year. I mean, but yeah. I, I look at it this way: like, even this, who knows? I mean, this this business is so turbulent. Yeah, I of can't course. even count on this lasting. Like, I hope it does. Sure, we'll see. I mean, but the, but that's the impermanence idea, of, right? This is what I'm doing. It's great, but don't get too comfortable yeah don't i mean it's yeah. different for you because it's your business and yep. it's kind of i don't know if you could be fired from your own business probably not um or it's very difficult <laughs> that's happened so you're kind of running running the show but in a band you know unless you're if the band is rob zombie and you're rob zombie it's you, you know or you just the band could fall off that yeah. could happen um they could kick me out yeah, if, I, if i screw up and they don't like me there's just a million ways so, so you can just never you know, it's it, you know, it's like the movie. You know, happily ever after, they walk off into the sunset, but the movie keeps going. Right, that's right. You know, so and 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 that's and that's the thing with with life is just focus on what's going on now. And it's uh, I think it's really cool. But I'm, you know, I want to keep going in other directions. And like you, I'm process. Right, right yeah. now we're working we're working on a new record, and I'm like, 
in that zone and it feels good to just be like focused on something and yeah. and, and really because the last record i wasn't involved for the most part except right. for a couple guitar solos and a few things and now i can kind of get my fingerprints on some stuff and and try and help the band not just to hey look what i did it's yeah really trying to improve and and make something better and be involved you know so yeah it's it's, it's, it's exciting i got one more for you sure i do have a question so how do you so I, i'm 49 right i'm gonna turn 50 in december how do you feel about getting older like how how has that process been how do you look to the future like what's your um, take i think 30 was tougher for me because yep. i think i had this mentality where you just you couldn't really envision it yep so the first few years of my 30s were difficult and it was tough because of expectation i feel like once you hit 30 it's like well why are you doing this you should be doing this you yeah. have th you have this much money you don't have this saved you're not you know and so there's all these kind of life markers that i was thought i should have been at or that and it was all fake it's all bullshit. yep it's all Straight societal up. like you know especially being in my home area where it's like oh, these people are getting married and these people have a house and you think that that, that is what you're supposed to be doing. And then kind of the more I got out of that, I started working in New York and hanging there and then I moved out here to LA and you realize, oh, that's just, that's just cultural and that's kind of of that, what's going on there. And it's okay to not be traditional. Yep. It's okay to yes. get where I get when I get there. Cause I actually put a, um, a like a, a marker on myself, I said, if I'm not, I told myself this, I was like, if I'm not on the path to having a career, like killing it in music business at 35, yep. then I'm going to start transitioning out. And then that age came, came and went. Yeah. And I was like, that's so stupid. It just doesn't, <laughs> what does 35, it's a nice round number. Right. It's like, <laughs> right. it, just yep. didn't, it just didn't, when it actually came there, it didn't mean anything. But I think that fear was that people are going to look at you and say, oh, you're a 35 year old. What are you doing? What are you, you should be doing blank you know yep. um so yeah so 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 that was really difficult and then once but no it was difficult early on in my 30s but once i kind of got to my mid 30s yeah. i basically just thought i was like you know what 40s coming yeah you know what that's fine yeah you know what and i just started thinking as if i was already 40. yep, <laughs> yep. and i was like and you know and and i, and I think you know that's kind of this this other thing of that you know, it's, I think musicians, artists, there's a state of suspended animation where we don't really mature past, past, a, certain, past a certain age. And, you know, I want to be okay with getting older. Yeah. I don't want to be someone who's trying to rehash another time or, yep. or you know, and I, and I think that's, it's like the mental battle of that, of like understanding that physically you may not be able to do certain things physically you don't look the same way your things change and kind of being okay with it yeah you know and like not i think that um a lot of misery comes with fighting like the current for sure you know sometimes just let it let it flow flow through you so i think um you know my, my main thing is just like i have back problems and like i said it's yeah. it sucks that stuff which i had it when i was younger when i was like 25 so it's not like it's new yeah it just sucks because i wish there's things physically i wish i could do and hopefully i'll develop my health and be cause like you run i can't run right i haven't run in yeah. like 15 years wow. and it sucks i ran yeah. cross country i really liked yeah. it and it sucks that I, I played basketball yeah. i would love to do that stuff every day yeah and i can't right now and that kind of sucks yeah for so sure. so those things I, I are a little bothersome but i like you know the you know i think 
wisdom that comes with age, I really enjoy. Straight up. I, Same I, thing. You know, and I yeah. don't, you know, it's, it's funny, they, they say like youth is wasted on the young, but I think it is. It's like, yeah, when you're that age, you should have certain things that are really cool and other things that are not as cool. Yeah. And then you, you know, it's, that's the way life should be. It should be a, a yin and yang, you know, like, like a seesaw, right? Yes. I think that's okay. It yes. You know, obviously there's some people like Will Smith who just stay good looking and are brilliant. <laughs> right. till you yeah. know, there's a couple of those people. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, but we, you know, we, we can't all, all, all be that. But I think, like you said, with staying healthy and staying, yeah. like those things do keep, keep you young. And I know, I know some people my same age. Who look a fuck lot worse than I do? Yeah, of course. <laughs> because of whatever, yeah. you know, uh, genetic stress, you know, and and you know, I think I've, you know, I do do think age still is in the mind, and it's how you feel and how you project yourself. Like you ever think about old people? Like now, did they start dressing like old people when they became <laughs> old, <laughs> right. or is that the 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 uh, style? When they were like forty four, and they just rode with it. Forward, right? So it's yes, what people yes. dress like in like seventy two, <laughs> and they're still. And I, I have to figure that. I think it's more they just started like I'm old. I'm gonna start dressing like an old person, right? Get yes. some suspenders, you know. Yeah. Get one of those like, what those, those like overcoat, um, like sweaters. Yeah, you know. But that's the quick key is just never start dressing like an old person and having certain things it's like old people glasses, old people haircuts. Yeah. We can avoid, like, we can avoid some of these things if we want to, you know. Hundred percent. Sometimes you just grow into it. It's like, you know, what? I'm a. Some people just like, yo, I'm, a, I'm gonna be an old person now. I'm like, you know what? I respect that. <laughs> right, for sure. You know, I'm cool with it all. But um, but yeah, man, it's it's, it's been uh, a really great talk. We're two hours in. And I think you're. Are we two hours in? Yeah, we're over our time. Holy anyway. shit, that ripped by. That's how it goes, man. Fuck yeah! Thank you so much, man. No problem. Thanks. Thanks. Listen, man. And you know. Wow. A big part of this show is kind of re-examining that era because it was we were part yeah. of a beautiful uh, time. Yes. In, in music and in a scene. And, and, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people I still want to talk to. And, and you, you were one on, on my list. So I'm glad to be able to, to notch that off. And I think your story is, is incredible. And you're just an inspiring person. So. Ah, shit, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. All right.
So that was the aforementioned band 5.0 that Paul Conroy signed to Roadrunner Records many moons ago. And that's the track. It's called Untitled from the album of the same name. And I implore you to check that album out. Um, it's one of those bands that just never got to uh, hit that next level. And I think all it would have taken was them just to stick around and make another record. But they're so talented. And so even I listen to that now and it doesn't sound like anything to me in particular. And I, and we miss bands like that. We need bands like that that's, that stand out. And um, hopefully I can get the singer Daniel on the show at, at some point because he was he was really close with with the band. And actually, uh, we, you know, we, we actually worked on some music at some point together. And uh, I just hope he's doing well. And uh, he actually played with Times of Grace, which is Jesse and Adam from Killswitch's other band on, on tour. So great guy, great band. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that song and the conversation with Paul. It was, it was a little on the longer side, which I don't mind. And this was one of those conversations where a lot of well, a lot of things come out and a lot of uh, emotions and, and times that we, you know, kind of fall to, um, I don't say fall to history, but, you know, life just kind of goes on. And if you're not the type of person who dwells, um, sometimes you just, oh, I remember that. I remember this was going on. And, and it's uh, sometimes these conversations can bring things up that... Um, can be really reflective and and powerful and so uh you know and i and I, I felt that i felt the emotion of the conversation and it was uh it was awesome so definitely want to thank paul for coming on the show and uh and you know sharing his time he's very very busy busy gentleman and i really appreciate that so with that said i'm gonna you know not gonna meander i'm gonna i, I have a lot to do right now and I'm, I'm gonna run thank you guys for listening to the show tell your friends uh tell your mama tell your mama's mama and uh mama out This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.